So we're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 24, Text 60. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya As I said, Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 24, Text, uh, uh, text 60. Yatre dam vyayate vishvam Yatre dam vyayate vishvam Vishwasmin avabhatiyat Vishwasmin avabhatiyat Tatvam brahma palam jyoti Tatvam brahma palam jyoti Aksham eva vishristitam Aksham eva vishristitam Yatre dam vyayate vishvam Yatre dam vyayate Vishwamin avabhatiyat Tatvam brahma palam jyoti Aksham eva vifristritam Yatra Where? Idam This Vajayate Manifested Vishwam, the universe. Vishwamin, in the cosmic manifestation. Avabhati, fested. Yat, that. Tat, that. Tvam, you. Brahma, the impersonal Brahman. Param, transcendental. Jyoti, effulgence. Aksham, sky. Iva, like. Vishritam, spread. Translation. My dear Lord, the impersonal Brahman spreads everywhere like the sunshine or the sky. And that impersonal Brahman, which spreads throughout the universe and in which the entire universe is manifested, is you. Uh, translation responsibly, my dear Lord, my dear Lord the, impersonal the impersonal Brahman spreads everywhere, like the sunshine or the sky. And the impersonal Brahman, which spreads throughout the universe, and in which the entire universe is manifested, is you. Purport by His Divine Grace, Shri Prabhupada. In the Vedic literature it is said that everything is Brahman and nothing else. The whole cosmic manifestation rests on the Brahman effulgence. The impersonalists, however, cannot understand how such a huge cosmic manifestation can rest on, one, on a person. Thus, this inconceivable power of the Supreme Personality of Godhead is not understood by the impersonalists. Therefore, they are puzzled and always denying that the Absolute Truth is a person. This wrong impression is cleared by Lord Shiva himself, who says that the impersonal Brahman, which is spread all over the universe, is nothing but the Supreme Lord himself. Here it is clearly said that the Lord is spread everywhere, just like the sunshine, by the virtue of his Brahman feature. This example is very easy to understand. All the planetary systems are resting upon the sunshine. 
that the sunshine and the source of sunshine are aloof from the planetary manifestations. Similarly, the sky or air is spread everywhere. Air is within a pot, but it also touches filthy places and sanctifies places like that alike. In any case, the sky is uncontaminated. The sunshine also touches filthy places and sanctifies place, sanctified places, and both are actually produced by the sun. But in any case, the sun is aloof from all filthy things. Similarly, the Lord exists everywhere. There are pious things and impious things, but, the shast- but in the Shastras, the pious things are described as the front of the Supreme Lord whereas the impious things are described as the back of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In the Bhagavad Gita 9.4, the Lord clearly states, Aham tvam idam sarvam jagat avyakta murtina matstani sarvabhutani nachaham atveshvasam By me, in my unmanifested form, the entire universe is pervaded. All beings are in me, but I am not in them. This verse of the Bhagavad Gita explains that the Lord is spread everywhere by virtue of his Brahman feature. Everything rests on him, yet he is not there. The conclusion is that without Bhakti Yoga, without rendering devotional service to the Lord, even an impersonalist cannot understand the Brahma Tattva, the Brahman feature. In the Vedanta Sutra it is stated, Atato Brahmajigyasa. This means that Brahman, Paramatma and, Parama, and Parambrahma should be, understood, should be understood. In the Srimad Bhagavatam also, the absolute truth is described as the one without a second, but he is realized in three features, the impersonal Brahman, localized Paramatma, and the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is the ultimate issue, and in this verse, Lord Shiva confirms that ultimately the absolute truth is a person. He clearly said, Tattvam Brahma Param Jyotiya Aksham Eva Vidrishtatam. Here, uh, here is a common example. A successful businessman may... <laughs> this thing has got a mind all its own. <clears throat> uh, where are we? Lord Krishna. Um, a successful businessman may have many factories and offices and everything rests on his order. If someone says that the entire business rests on such and such a person, it does not mean that the person is bearing all the factories and offices on his head. Rather, it is understood that by his brain and his energetic expansion, the business is running without interruption. Similarly, it is the brain and the energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead that carries on the complete manifestation of the material and spiritual worlds. The philosophy of monism, as ex- uh, uh, explained here, very clearly adjusts itself to the fact that the supreme source of all energy is the supreme personality of Godhead, Krishna. This is described very clearly. It is also stated how the impersonal feature of Krishna can be understood. Rasoham apaso kuntiya prabhasmi sari suryaho. Pranava sarva vedeshu sadaki purusham nishu. O son of Kunti Arjuna, I am the taste of water, the light of the sun and moon, the symbol om in the Vedic mantras. I am the sound in ether and the ability in man. Bhagavad Gita 7 8. In this way, Krishna can be understood as the mystic power in everything. 
So my dear Lord, the impersonal Brahman spreads everywhere, like the sun's rays or the sky, and that impersonal Brahman spreads throughout the universe and in which the entire universe is manifested is you. So the first part of this uh, purport was in the Vedic literature, it is said that everything is Brahman and nothing else. The whole cosmic manifestation rests on the Brahman effulgence. So there is the Brahma Samhita verse, which also confirms this. Translation of that is, I worship Govinda, whose effulgence is the source of the unknown disperientiated Brahman mentioned in the Upanishads, being differentiated from the infinity of glories of mundane universes, appears as the indivisible, infinite, limitless truth. Again, from the purport, the impersonalists, however, cannot understand how such a huge cosmic manifestation rests on a person. Thus, this inconceivable power of the Supreme Personality of Godhead is not understood by impersonalists. Therefore, they are puzzled and always deny the absolute truth is a person. So it's on this that I wanted to... Uh, and then Lord Shiva goes on to say, the wrong imp- impression is cleared by Lord Shiva himself... Uh, Shri Prabhupada goes on to say, the wrong impression is cleared by Lord Shiva himself, who says that the impersonal Brahman, which is spread all over the universe, is nothing but the Supreme Lord himself. So <clears throat> what I wanted to talk a little bit about today is, is this point of impersonalism. Impersonalism and how it has affected us and how it still affects us within this material world. It is, uh, you know, it, it is a, a problem within all the different traditions for self-realization, this point of impersonalism. Impersonalism is actually quite attractive in one sense, you know, because all the ultimate end is, is that you think that you're God. So... Um, now, the other day it was the appearance days of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur came in the lineage of uh, uh, Vedantas that were expressing this non-dual, uh, this duality, this bhakti-yoga, this understanding that Krishna is the source of everything and the source, source of Brahman. So he wanted to point out uh, quite clearly that God is a person and the ultimate issue that everything actually rests on Krishna. So in today's society, we see so many different impersonal things moving into society, you know, from our bank accounts uh, to so many different things. Uh, people in uh, re- the whole refugee situation, we're dealing a lot with the different uh, interfaith groups trying to help the refugee situation. And people uh, throughout the world are really... Uh, not seeing individuals anymore, they're seeing just uh, herds of people, not, not, not really considering that there is a, a person behind everybody. And so they're treating people in a very, uh, very uh, uh, undignified way, an impersonal way. Similarly, you know, like we have uh, in warfare nowadays, uh, very impersonal. When we read the stories of the great Chatriyas, they would fight one-to-one 
men and women would be, old men and, and women would be excluded. There would be a place where they would fight. But in today's impersonal society, we have drones that just full scale just kill everything that's in their path. And, and then it's just noted that it is just collateral damage. It's, it's not persons anymore, it's just collateral damage. So Krishna is the personality of Godhead. This is what Bhaktivinoda established. Krishna is the personality of Godhead. The Jiva soul is eternally the servant of Krishna. And in this way he establishes the principles of real bhakti. And Srila Prabhupada brought this real teaching to the Western world, which was basically completely inundated with impersonalism. Unfortunately, a lot of people have, uh, from the early years where Vivekananda actually came to the West for the first time, and he brought with him this impersonalist understanding. So the Western people think that actually uh, Hinduism or Vaishnava or Vedic tradition is this impersonal understanding. So this is wrong. So I deal a lot with the Hindu community and uh, through different outreach works and communication works. And even you see that within this community, this impersonalism is, is very, very strong. And it's amazing when a person comes to Krishna consciousness, they finally realize how wrong they were about the concept of, of God and, 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 and eternality and so on and so forth. So even people that come to the temple, we find so many people that are really not devotionally inclined in a personal way. You can also, Prabhupada mentions also that there are many great reciters of the Srimad Bhagavatam. If we go to India, you know, they have Bhagavad Sapta and they recite the Bhagavatam, Srimad Bhagavatam or the Ramayana and pra practically talk about nothing else but bhakti. But they have no real conception of bhakti, you know. So they even say that, uh, you know, there are the different processes of yoga, but the easiest process is bhakti yoga, the process of love and devotion. And they'll use examples, uh, you know, that we use. And they'll tell stories like we use from the Bhagavatam and so on and so forth. So there was some point that I wanted, I made some notes on their understanding of, of, of the concept of God and, and, and how they see impersonalism in their life. So but their concept is that ultimately bhakti means fixing their mind on what is transcendental through the transcendental medium of the Lord's pastimes and the Lord's name and you transcend all dualities and you can transcend that form of God that you're worshipping and you can transcend the temporary or rendering of devotional service to the Lord and you can enter into this fear of what was considered the highest truth in personal realization that ultimately God is impersonal he is a supreme formless energy in whom we ultimately all merge. It's this concept of all merging. So before I became a devotee, uh, as most of you understood, I came from a Christian background which was very personal. For me anyway, it was a very personal uh, understanding of God. When Lord Jesus was praying to God, he would pray, "My Father, our Father who art in heaven. He had a concept of God. And so, but... Somehow or another, I wasn't satisfied in the Christian tradition, so I started looking at the Vedic traditions, and I became involved with meditation uh, on an impersonal school. And in that school, where the teacher would say, you know, like, if you meditate and you study the scriptures and you study and you meditate, 
After a period of time, there's a level of self-realization that happens. And he used to say that it's like, say, for example, two people are walking on a path. There's you and there's God walking along a path. And at one stage, you don't know which side of the path you're on. So you merge with God and you sit like that. So this was the idea that they told me. So their idea is that for our deliverance, this is their understanding, for, for our deliverance, the Lord will temporarily accept the form within this world. Because we have a form, we have a personality, we have our senses, we can see, we can hear, we can feel, we can so on and so forth. Therefore, the Lord appears in this material way just to give us a chance to purify our existence. Such persons, when they are narrating Ramayana, the Srimad Bhagavatam, and so on and so forth, sometimes you see that the tears are coming to their eyes, but actually, they're not attracted to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Still, their aim is, their concept is, just see how wonderful the Supreme Brahman is, that this formless Lord has manifested himself in this wonderful, attractive position. You know, just for me. And so, just, and there was a fabulous analogy in this regard um, that was given by Radhana Swami, which is really interesting. Their concept of God is something similar to us going to the movies, although we don't go to the movies too often unless there's a really nice Krishna conscious movie on or something. But when we go to the movies, right, what happens? This is their concept of God in a sense. When you go to the movies, you get caught up in the story that's there presented on the, on the screen, right? Uh, there's action. So we feel the adrenaline in our body. and We think, wow, this is really exciting, you know. Indiana Jones or something, you know, like... Really. And then there's a romantic thing and we feel all compassionate like that. And, and then there is the hero. You know, we have the hero situation. We identify with a particular hero. And all of a sudden, something tragic happens to that hero. And, you know, we feel, we feel so remorse for that person. Even some tears may come. Oh, my hero has fallen away. And then the movie finishes. And the movie finishes, and all that's left is the white screen and light. That is impersonalism. Okay? So they see the pastimes of Krishna, pastimes of Ram, the pastimes of the Lord, as nothing more than flashes on a screen. And that their emotions are there, but then ultimately it's just white light. So this is the understanding that the, uh, that the impersonalist has. Actually, behind it, we know that the lights, the flashing against the screen, making the appearance of these people, but actually the people are really, they don't exist. It's just light. It's just the screen. So this is, this is the impersonalist understanding. We know that it's just really just an illusion, a movie, but still we identify it with, with our minds and so on and so forth. So similarly, to this extent, the impersonalists see that Ultimate, in the ultimate end, the Supreme Lord is nothing but this amazing light. Similarly, the impersonalists also chant the holy name of God. You know, there are many people that are profound, very famous all over the world nowadays where they chant the holy name of the Lord. But understanding, and they recite the Srimad Bhagavatam, they cry, they dance, 
you know, we sometimes have the different kirtan and bhajan nights where we go to different places and we're asked also to chant and dance. And then we see some other of these impersonalists also chanting and we see people crying and so on and so forth, which are temporary manifestations of some feeling. But in ultimate end, they have this understanding that actually I'm crying for myself. Aham Brahmasmi, I am God, I am the Supreme. Therefore, it's, it's a bit of a warning for the devotees to be very careful. Prabhupada was very, uh, very careful to warn the devotees that when we go to different places and there is this recitation of the Srimad Bhagavatam or there is the chanting by people that are not devotees, uh, it can contaminate us. Lord Chaitanya has said that if you actually hear the teachings of the impersonalists, we should run to the Ganges and bathe in the Ganges immediately because of contamination. So these are, uh, these are things that can disturb a devotee service attitude. So we have to be really mindful of that. Bhaktivinoda Thakur and their great leaders in the Parampara established such clear, undefi- undefinable, undefeatable terms that ultimately Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And they were fearless in that, you know. And, and you know, you can understand with Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Maharaj, when he was profound, uh, when he was presenting Krishna consciousness, he was a Sringa Guru. He was very uh, forceful in presenting this personalist understanding. And he had to be to actually make it clear to people that God is a person. So, unfortunately, Krishna is the cause... um, So, ultimately, Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That ultimately, Krishna is the cause of all causes. And when we hear his pastimes, when he chants his names, we should be conscious that the Absolute Truth reciprocates and responds to our prayers in the spiritual world and within our hearts. Today, there's a very big mix-up of personalism and impersonalism. You can be listening for hours and hours to people on YouTube and everything about different aspects. There are gurus and philosophers. All of us have this medium now of the internet where we can hear different philosophies and sometimes even on Facebook we get these different teachers that come up and we, and we look at them and they sound pretty good. You know, We think, oh, that sounds interesting. In the ultimate end... It all boils down to impersonalism. It's really interesting. When you ask these people, in the ultimate end, is God a person or is God impersonal? They will say God is simply impersonal. This is, this is, uh, they believe that. That ultimately God is formless. That he doesn't have a form. So even, which is really sad, even in some of the traditional religions of today, And I find this more and more when I'm dealing with people of different faith traditions. They similarly also have an impersonal understanding, even though their founder, whoever founded their religious tradition, uh, was a personalist. Somehow or another, these impersonal things uh, infiltrated that religious tradition. And consequently, uh, I've spoken to many rabbis and priests that said, ultimately, God is formless. So this is, again, really... Really a difficult thing to face. So this is the world that we're living in. We should learn from our teachers, from the Parampara, that we have to love God. And that love means that uh, there is a personality. 
It's impossible to love an empty room. It's impossible to love formlessness. It's impossible to love light. It's impossible to love a movie screen. So what the great Acharyas are teaching us is that we love a, a connection with another personality. The reason why the impersonalists find it so easy to believe that God is formless and have this impersonal understanding is basically because of envy. Even though they may make a show that, you know, oh, I'm reading Krishna's pastimes, I'm reading Bhagavad Gita, I'm chanting Hare Krishna. Ultimately, there's a little bit of enviness, the envy there. I want to be that personality. I want to be God. And so in the ultimate, that's what they're thinking, that all these pastimes and all these uh, different manifestations, in the ultimate end, is really me. So um, Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj used to say, the atheist sees uh, God nowhere, but a devotee sees God everywhere. So this is uh, a really interesting thing, because in the last part of this purport, where Prabhupada is quoting the Srimad Bhagavad Gita, where he says that, um, I am the t Krishna says, O Kunti, I am the taste of water, the light of the sun and moon, the symbol Om in the Vedic mantras. I'm the sound and ether and the ability of man. So it's incumbent upon us to actually see Krishna everywhere. And a devotee of the Lord actually sees Krishna everywhere. Now this is a training that we should also be very mindful of. That we consciously try to see Krishna everywhere. That we are not blind to the fact that this is Krishna's creation. That we actually look at the world and see the wonder of God's creation. You know, in, in so many ways, the way the seasons traverse on a regular basis, or how the, 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 uh, the, the growth of plants happen, uh, there's so many different things. So a devotee has to be very keen and very open to seeing Krishna everywhere. And we can do it. It's an exercise that we actually have to train ourselves to do. And in a sense... Uh, there were some really wonderful um, YouTube clips that uh, Shiva Ramswami is now putting up. Anybody seen those YouTube clips? And he was saying how important it is that we, we as personalists, we understand the responsibility we have to the environment. You know, that we're conscious of actually being uh, aware that everything is God's property and this wonderful creation is... is, is part of God. God is part of that. And so that we should care for it in every way that we can. In simple things. In simple things. In our lives. And this is a, there's a great movement now, the environmental movement. But in a sense, the devotee should be part of that. And we should be conscious about that. Uh, recently, I saw a little clip that uh, Keshava put up about just even here, uh, about the plates that we use stainless steel plates instead of the paper plates. And he was pointing out how over a year we probably individually <coughs> chopped down the tree because we're eating off these paper plates. No, we don't. Huh? We don't? We don't. No? It's made from sugar cane That's, well, then he's wrong. This is the byproduct of... Of the sugar of industry. The sugar. Well, that's good. Actually, it's, it's... To be honest... Oh, anyway. No, that's okay. We'll make, we'll make a, an official statement. Good statement. You know, 
No, no, that was not right. But in the same token, in our lives at home and everything, we should be careful that we're environmentally friendly, that we do things in a way that's environmentally friendly. So, you know, it won't hurt to bring in a stainless steel plate and eat off that. It's fine. Yeah, I know, we know that. But even now we can do it. We can bring our own plates in and save ourselves $50,000 a year. So, you know. No, but we would have discussed if we all bring our plates, then we're going to spend more on water. Right? So the reason why we've got the plan that we have that wasn't mentioned and probably should have been is when we finish the, the, the second phase of the yeah, kitchen, yeah. we've got a place in there that's meant specifically for storing plates and washing. washing plates with an efficient dishwasher so that we can save money. That is the personalist way of doing it. So we're environmentally friendly. In the ultimate end, we're going there. We've got a plan. Krishna has a plan. There we go. Well, I never said that, but anyway. <laughs> All I'm saying is... Yeah, and that was very upsetting for a lot of people. Okay, that's interesting, Ali. Yeah. Really. Thank and you. I have, I'm having to deal with the with the with, with the, the fallout people. from it. Yeah, okay. Good point. Thank you very much for making that. Up. The point that I was trying to make was, yeah, Hare Krishna. Thank you. The point that I was trying to make is that this environment is a big, big thing. Okay, in, in today's society, it's a big, big thing. And I know within, you know, like Mayapur and also uh, Vrindavan, the devotees are actually consciously trying to clean things up and, and become more environmentally friendly. So this understanding of to hell with the environment is the thing that's bringing this planet to its knees. Because it's this impersonal understanding that actually I don't care about anybody else. It's me that's the most important because in ultimate end, when you boil it all down, this whole me concept is this thing of thinking I'm God and to hell with anything else. So even in our daily lives, we should be really careful about the environment and there are different things that we can do, you know. And uh, because it's Krishna's, Krishna's uh, creation and Krishna's part of his creation. So the Krishna conscious philosophy, the philosophy of dualism, established this, that you were never God, you will never be God, and the jiva is always subordinate and a servant of God. This is... Thank God. Right. The point is, is that that ultimately boils down to the fact that you are not the controller. And so many in the world today think that they are the controller, but you're not. So, um, uh, you can't control anything. It's really interesting, sometimes you have a preaching situation, you know, and especially when we used to have, uh, we, I don't know if that still happens very much, but at the old Gopals and the old Crossways, uh, we, when I was managing, we used to have someone that would, go around and preach to the different people that would come to take prasadam. And uh, in the early days, there were a lot of these impersonalists that would rock up to the crossways or gopals 
and uh, present themselves, you know, and say, well, you've got it all wrong, you know, God is not a person, we're all actually part of God, uh, and in, in the ultimate end, you know, we're all God, we all merge into, the, into God. And the devotees were very, very adamant and very strong in, that, uh, in, in, in their preaching. And they would say, but, you know, so you're saying, my dear sir, that you are the controller? And they said, yes, in the ultimate end, I'm the controller. And they said, oh, we used to say, okay, then do me a favour. For five minutes, stop blinking. And they'd go, what do you mean? So, you know, you're the controller, you're in control of everything. Just stop blinking. And you'd look at them, you know, and they'd try like anything. I said, that may be a, that may be a little hard. Let's try something a little easier. Stop breathing. Let's give it, say, three minutes. Stop breathing. They can't do it. And then I said, okay, well, what about next time you feel like you want to go to the toilet? Don't go. You're the controller. You can control everything. So you just control that. So in the ultimate end, they said, yes, well, when I become realized that I'm God, then I can control my breathing and everything, you know. And this was their bogus argument, you know, when I become God. I said, why would God subject himself to this horrible human condition? <laughs> if you're God, why would you torment yourself with, like at the moment, having a flu for two or three weeks, you know? Why would you torment yourself like this? And they would say, oh, this is all Leela. <laughs> this is my experience. So anyway, it's really interesting. So actually, they can't control anything. Lord Chaitanya took the essence of all the great philosophies and he revealed the Chincha, Beda, Beda, Tattva, simultaneously one and different philosophy. And from it we can understand that one and different duality concept. Now that we are persons and God is a person and that we truly understand and reciprocate in love with God. So this is the point. We can have a loving, reciprocative, loving relationship with God. That is the highest bhakti. This is the highest taste that one can have. This is real bhakti, true bhakti, not put on bhakti. This is where you actually feel God's presence. Now yesterday there was a really nice class given by Sri Chaitanya about the, the necessity for us to chant really good rounds, to connect with God. We really have to call out to God. You know, Bhakti Siddhanta used to say, don't think that God is coming to you. You have to make it that God recognizes you. So you have to make an effort to actually say, my dear Lord, I'm here, I'm for you, I'm with you, I love you. So this round, chanting our rounds is, is of the utmost importance. Chanting good rounds is of the utmost importance. The onus is on us to call out to the Supreme Lord with sincerity, with, with longing to be with him in loving service with him. And God sees that and he reciprocates with us. He reciprocates with us. The materialist is so infatuated by all different sense gratificatory things. You know, he's so caught up in material life. But as soon as a person becomes a devotee, it's so easy for them to give up these material attachments. You know, we've got the four principles. It's so simple. And no meat eating, no, no illicit sex, no intoxication, no gambling. For a devotee, we can just give these things up so easily. 
I remember before I was a devotee, just to give up smoking was a huge thing. If anybody in the, in, back in the 70s, everybody smoked. And if you tried to give up smoking, it was just the hardest thing. And I did all these different processes. It was only when I came to Krishna consciousness that it was like, mm, gone. Because you've made an approach to Krishna, he provides the ability in you to be able to uh, give up things. So the onus is on us. In the ultimate end, impersonalism is nothing but selfishness. In the ultimate end, impersonalism is nothing but selfishness. No service. Hmm? No service. No service. No service attitude. So, and the thing that I wanted to mention is, is that this selfishness can also creep into our devotional life. Impersonalism is, is something that we have to be mindful of, even as devotees, you know. Um, we have to treat each other with respect. And we have to reflect on how much of a personalist or an impersonalist am I really? How much am I self-motivated and how much is my uh, mood of giving and surrender? And we have to constantly work at that because we're all works in progress. Every single one of us is a work in progress to go back home, back to Godhead. So we have to really look at what I'm doing to... Uh, my, my companions, my friends and everything and how am I dealing with them am I dealing with them in an, in an impersonal way or am I dealing with them in a humble, personal way humility is what we need and, and uh, it, that roots out when we develop humility it roots out this enviousness that we have and it's a subtle thing but when we develop uh, enviousness it destroys our Krishna consciousness so we have to be really Mindful of that, that this enviousness is, a, is actually a sort of impersonalism. So Lord Chaitanya says we have to be humble, right? One should chant the holy name in a humble state of mind, thinking one lowers in the straw in the street. So just this humility is so important. And when we have that humility, when we have that compassion, when we have that understanding that we're simply the servants of God, and then we start, and that the Lord is present within each and every one of us. That the Lord is present within each and every one of us. We start to respect each and every individual that we deal with, to the best of our ability. And again, it's like the environmental thing. We have to work at it. And so again, it's like that understanding and seeing Krishna everywhere. It's a thing that we have to work at. Each day, we have to work at that. To see, oh, this is a person I'm dealing with. Let me not just be impersonal and scoff that person off or mistreat them or ignore them. Let me be personalist and approach that person with love and respect. Uh, there's a verse in Bhagavad Gita which is, you know, a classic, one of the uh, major ones in the 10th canto, a uh, 10th chapter, chapter text 9. Machita Madgata Prana. The thoughts of my pure devotees dwell in me. Their lives are surrendered unto me. So we surrender. And they derive great satisfaction and bliss. This is the key point. They derive great satisfaction and bliss in enlightening one another and conversing about me. So this is the point. Enlightening one another. Great satisfaction and bliss. Krishna consciousness is a blissful process, is a joyful process, it is a fun process. 
Unlike impersonalism, which is boring. It is dry, it is empty, there's no love. And if there's a love there, it's a temporary love. It's really interesting, you know, like uh, we do Guru Puja and we love Srila Prabhupada. So there was a yoga group that used to come here quite often and they would see us actually so dedicatedly offering Guru Puja to Srila Prabhupada because we love Srila Prabhupada. So they thought, oh, hang on a tick, we're going to get a murti of our guru, our, our Param guru, and set that up also, and we'll start doing a, a puja to him as well. The strange thing is, is that ultimately, they want to become that person that's on the asana. I said, why are you doing this? Ultimately, you're, going to, you're, you're wanting to be that person. You're wanting to merge with that person. You don't really love that person because you see it as you. And it was so strange. So anyway, that's what they do. So the impersonal is without juice, without love. Devotees in their relationships have loving relationships. You know, that, that continue on and on and on. There was an article, I don't know if any of you saw this, in, uh, the, uh, on Dandavats, where Bhakti Marg was saying... Uh, that the Lord resides within our hearts and all the living entities, we can become somewhat hard-hearted at times. Bluntly, he put it, we become too fanatic in our devotional journey, not considering others. And this is a sort of impersonalism that creeps into our lives. We can become hard-hearted to other devotees. So he was saying that when he, was, when he first became a devotee, uh, fanaticism was the, was very he became very much fanatic, you know, very rigorous, Hare Krishna, and didn't see a loving relationship with other devotees as important. It is important. So now he points out, he said, instead of being a fanatic, I want to be a fun attic. <laughs> Not a fanatic, but a fun attic. So in Krishna consciousness, we have to seek out fulfilling things in our Krishna consciousness. Knowing that everything we do, everything we do as a devotee is directly connected to the Supreme Lord. Everything we do. So, devotional service is blissfully performed. It's fun. Prabhupada used to say that it is a joy at every moment. So how do we do that? If we find that in our devotional life we're not having a blissful fun experience, then there's something wrong. We have to check ourselves. What are we doing wrong? Why am I not happy in devotional service? There's something not right. And this may be a creeping impersonalism coming into our lives. So, a classic example, we've had some incidents sometime, that uh, devotees, you know, when they come to Krishna consciousness, they're either in the Brahmacharini ashram or the Brahmachari ashram, everything's catered for them, and they're doing service and they're fired up and everything. And then they leave the ashram when they're married, and then sometimes there's this understanding that now I'm in the Griyasta ashram, what do I do as far as Krishna consciousness is concerned? And sometimes they're confused to find out what gives me pleasure in the, in the Grihasta ashram. Now most of the Grihastas, the most of the people in the Hare Krishna movement are now Grihastas. So how does a Grihasta actually derive fun and bliss in, in Krishna consciousness? So we have to become really introspective and find out what it is that I can do for Krishna that is both pleasing and satisfying and joyfully performed. 
And there are so many things. But so many people get caught up in greenhouse to life and, and, they, and they're miserable. And I say, come on. You have to be able to do some things for Krishna that are fun and enjoyable. And sometimes they say, but what can I do? Well, the first and foremost thing is, is you can go out and preach Krishna consciousness. That's fun in itself. That's exciting to go on a Harinam, to go and do some book distribution. Even if you're doing book distribution in your neighborhood, just knocking on people's doors and offering them a book. You know, from your income, you buy a group, a set of small books, and you go and present them to your neighbors, introduce yourself as a Hare Krishna. It's exciting. It's fun to do. You know, it may be a bit tentative in the beginning. Oh, I don't know if they'll receive me. But you'll be so surprised when you do something like that. People open their doors. Oh, I've always wondered about a Hare Krishna. Or they've never heard of a Hare Krishna. What's a Hare Krishna? Well, we are personalists. We believe in God and we, we encourage people to also believe in God. And, and here's a little book. So book distribution is a wonderful thing. Harinam Sankirtan. To go out on Harinam and chanting the holy name of the Lord. To, to organize things for, for Krishna's pleasure. Um, just recently we had a program where we had some Krishna conscious games. To just do something out of the normal, but include Krishna consciousness in your activity. And have fun with that. And, and, and it brings life to your life, you know, it brings enjoyment to your life. The other thing is, is that, well, what else can I do? But if everything is centered around Krishna, there are so many things that you can do. Say, for example, gardening. Most people will think, oh, gardening. But you can garden for Krishna. You can grow beautiful flowers for Krishna. You know, uh, you can do so many different things. Uh, you can create craft. Uh, you can have your deities at home where you build a nice altar and, you know, you can build develop nice clothing or different creative things, jewellery. You can make jewellery for the deities here. You can make things. These sort of things bring life to you. You know, there's uh, so many different things that you can do. Uh, you can work in the community. You know, instead of just being working nine to five and so on, you can actually do some voluntary work outside. Develop a a program, you know, either through chaplaincy or interfaith or something, get out there into the community and, and meet with people, hear different philosophies, hear different thoughts, and present your own thoughts and, and, and understandings of Krishna consciousness. Meet friends from other traditions. They fulfill your life. There are so many things that we can do to actually make our life interesting, fulfilling, and fun. Not that it has to be too... Rigor rigorously and, and, and you know like there is such a big thing at the moment that uh, people are buying huge houses and stuff and then they're having to work all week and then get another job on the weekend you know and they're, and they're just trying to cram their rounds in on the train or wherever just to pay the mortgage well time slips away very quickly before you know it you're old you know, and then you think, well, what, what happened with my youth? Well, I paid off the mortgage. But there are so many other things that you can do to actually enliven and enthuse you to be Krishna conscious. So we have to take stock of this. We have to really... And the key of it is, is that you have to connect with God through chanting properly, through hearing properly, 
by being humble, by developing a service attitude to the Supreme Lord. These sort of things are, uh, are, are there. And Krishna is such a wonderful personality, you know, with his 16,108 wives when I was just reading Krishna book. And, you know, you, you hear about how he has the various pastimes with his wives. And in one part he's playing chess, and another part he's having a massage, and another part he's walking with his wife, and another part he's doing this and that. So he's showing us that in Grihastha life, we can actually have a very normal, happy, loving relationship and, and have a wonderful life, a fun-filled life, a fulfilling life. So um, if we don't develop these sort of activities, if devotional services become dry for us, that's something that we're doing because we're obligated to do it, because we've made a promise, then it, we, we really have to look at why we're, we're doing that and, and that impersonalism could have crept in. That, and uh, we have to make a change in that. So if we pro approach the Lord in an impersonal way, he will react to us in, a personal, in an impersonal way. And if we react to the Lord in a personal way, similarly he will respond to us with love. So um, uh, the point is we cannot love a blank movie screen. We have to see Krishna as a personality and we have to learn how to love him. You know, this is, this is very important. Um, Impersonalists put an emphasis on oneness of them and God. And the Vaishnavas always put the emphasis on difference, that we're different from God. So there are two reasons why the devotee actually always puts the emphasis on difference. The reasons are that through difference, devotion is born. So when there's one person here, there's the other person there. There's, there's a, a, a connection. Because there's... The pseudo-philosophy and impersonal that literally misleads people and religions all over the world. We don't want to give credence to that. We don't want that misconception. Uh, so Prabhupada was so uh, amazing that he came to this world to actually dispel this impersonalism. Every day when we do the pranams to Srila Prabhupada, you know, where we say Namaste Sarasvati Devam, Gauravani Pacharani, Nevisesha Shunyavadi, Paschachadeshatayani. He came to dispel this impersonalism, this voidism. And so thereby we have to uh, take up this challenge. And it's by his mercy uh, that he is surgically removing that impersonalism from our hearts. And we have to really focus and try to do the best we can to have no impersonal concept or enviousness within our hearts when we're dealing with the other devotees and we're dealing with our life. When that happens, then we have a very fulfilling and satisfying life. Are there any comments or questions at all for this? Yes, Baruch. Um, <clears throat> my question is, you were mentioning that we should do things that give us make, that make fun. But then you have the examples of the gopis right now. Yeah. And they, don't, they don't look for fun, actually. I was reading recently how uh, Srimataradarani, she, she even gets angry on the ecstasy that she feels. Yeah. Because and that a, but that anger is actually also ecstasy. Yeah. It's ecstasy on ecstasy. Same with Kunti Mara, Kunti Devi, where she's saying, please let these calamities keep on happening to me. Right? But that, the fact that that's the connection with Krishna, those calamities are actually a source of joy. Yeah, this is this what I mean, like, um, because Kunti Mara, she's praying for mm. uh, difficulties. She's not praying for fun. Yeah. 
Well, when we're at the level of Kunti Devi, then we can, you know, but her ecstasy is to have Krishna. So we're not looking for bad things to happen to us. But when they do, we can actually take it in a Krishna conscious way. But for a, for a younger devotee, we have to have satisfaction in our Krishna consciousness. It can't be a dry, speculative thing. It has to, be, it has to have juice in it. And when you love someone, you have juice. You do things for that person. You know? Like that. So we love Krishna. And we want to do wonderful things for Krishna. So when we preach, that fills us with joy. When we grow things, like at the farm, if we're growing things for Krishna, that fills us with joy. When we uh, are outreaching, that fills us with joy. Because it's all in relationship to Krishna. So even Kunti, Kunti Devi, who is asking for these calamities to keep on happening, in a sense it's always in relationship to Krishna because it brings out more and more love for her in connection to Krishna. So it's always a question of bringing out more love to, to Krishna. That's what we have to do. So in our very neophyte way, in our very young way in devotional service, we don't ask for calamities, but we ask for ways that we can serve the Lord, which is fulfilling for us. You know? When we reach the stage of God consciousness, Krishna consciousness, where we can actually cry out for calamities, well then that's, that's wonderful too. Does that make sense? Yes, Prabhu. For people with a Western background, for people with Western background, when they start exploring, a lot of them are, and they look at the different uh, traditions, other traditions, Western yeah. traditions, and then uh, it's, I see a pattern that they get attracted to Buddhism, yeah, probably Buddhism. because of their yeah. personal nature, so yeah. you can see that. Uh, but they're still open to ideas. Incidentally, just yesterday, I, I happened to have a conversation with somebody at my workplace who, who I don't know what is the sampradaya she's attached to. Uh, she's uh, through yoga, she got attached to some guru. Mm. And then to the extent that I was very surprised, she's saying, Did you know that I have a spiritual name? I said, well, what is it? She said something like Atma Varadhan or something like yeah, that. Yeah. I first said, this sounds like a male name. How did you discuss <laughs> So anyway, uh, so she's progressed that far in modern tradition. But I, when I asked a simple question, uh, she said she's meditating. I asked, what do you meditate upon? Hmm. She didn't have an answer to that. No. So my question is, um, as when you're trying to preach to in those sort of situations, do you have some tips and strategies, you know, what are the first thing, how do we approach them, how do we get them? A very good question. First of all, Prabhupada always used to say, you have to understand that you're not this material body, so that you're consciousness, that you're a pure spirit soul. And then you, I, I make them understand that actually God dwells within you, right? That the Supreme Lord is a person and that we have a relationship with Him. So we're personalists. So we, we have a battle on our hands, I'll tell you. Buddhism is such a huge thing at the moment. And most people are just going straight into it. You know, because they're looking for some relief from this material world. They understand that it's not the be-all and end-all. And so, you know, uh, they're, they're looking. We have to be equipped to show people that the ultimate goal of Buddhism is an empty room. 
But we, by nature, are loving individuals. We want to love people. We want to connect with people. So that is our nature. And our nature is to love the Supreme Lord. There is a Supreme Personality. It's not just a screen. It's not just a light. It's actually a personality. And so uh, we have to convince them of that. And thereby Prabhupada has made his books available. You know, and we, we present those books to them. And then you, you allow them to actually ask questions of you. I mean, it's not only Buddhism. There are many, many so-called so gurus out there at the moment. And, and, and Western people, you're talking about Western people. Western people are getting sucked into it. Now they say, oh, he's such a loving person. He has such loving sentiments. And, uh, you know, he's so nice with his disciples and so on and so forth. I, I'm not going to mention names, but I think you know who I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> and uh, and all of a sudden, if you go right down to the to the bare bones of the whole philosophy of what he's teaching or what she's teaching, it's ultimately that both you and I are God. We are the un, you know, the the, uh, the unlimited uh, Brahman impersonalism. So this is sad. Because if you understand that if, if a person takes to this because they're intrigued by wanting to have a spiritual dimension in their life and they, they become absorbed in that, they could be wrapped up for lifetimes with this impersonal conception. So their soul, their real self-realization could be hampered for many, many lifetimes. So it is a duty of the devotee to come along and say, my dear sir, it's nice what you've heard, but it's not the complete picture. Yes, God has an impersonal Brahman, effulgence, but beyond that is the person. And when you actually connect with that personality, you'll feel his presence. And every single devotee that started to chant Hare Krishna properly will have that experience. Every single person that is following the, the directions of the parampara, of the guru, of their spiritual master, will experience Krishna personally. No doubt about it. If you're chanting sincerely, these are no longer just statues on the altar. They are actually the personality of Godhead. An impersonalist comes in here, and we see so many coming in here, and they stand and they pray in front of the deities, you know, with very reverent, like that. In their heart, they're thinking, I'm going to merge with you. <laughs> we have it that they come in there and they're so you know oh like this and in their mind in their philosophy is that eventually I'm going to be up on the altar there I'm going to merge with that statue with that deity we on the other hand from chanting properly from following our sadhana properly by reading Prabhupada's books by dedicating our lives and following the principles and rendering service, we get a taste, we get a drop of nectar, that we enter the room and we see Krishna and our heart fills up, like Jamastami, you know? On special occasions especially, Krishna just opens and says, hey, here I am, or Astami, you know? And so much the devotees have done such wonderful things to decorate and everything, and all of a sudden, your heart fills with love for the Supreme Lord. That's if you're in the temple. Then in other occasions, when you're walking in the street or you're walking along a beach or you're, you're, you're somewhere 
or you see the birth of a child, or you see uh, a beautiful flower opening up, all of a sudden you realize this is Krishna's presence. And because you're a devotee, you can appreciate the power of the Supreme Lord. And that you're connected with that Supreme Lord. And Krishna loves you 100% as much as he loves anybody else. So if you read Krishna's pastimes with him, with the gopis, and him with his wives in Vrindavan, and so on and so forth, and how much he loves those individuals, he loves you the same. Krishna loves you so much. And it's said that if you take one step towards Krishna, he takes a thousand steps towards you, or a hundred steps, whatever, and you feel it. But you have to follow the process. If you don't follow the process properly, if you don't really make a, an effort, number one, chant, follow the sadhana, look for Krishna in your work, make sure that you have an uplifting experience in Krishna consciousness by rendering service to Him, that's when you start to really feel that personal connection. And then nothing can shake you from that. You know? But Prabhupada still says you have to be mindful. You have to be aware that when you move into those circles where, you, where impersonalism is taught, you have to be very careful and really always stay on the right side, you know? Yeah, any word of problem? It's a challenge because um, uh, even the impersonal concept is more advanced than just a materialistic yeah. viewpoint. And uh, what it underlines is that the challenge of attracting people who have information towards spiritual life um, and, and uh, harnessing that affinity for or that attraction to meditation and then giving people an opportunity to associate with the devotees so that regularly they're able to hear the alternative. And, you know, because we, in one conversation we're not going to convince anybody that Buddhism is or yeah. Yeah, yeah. very difficult, right? So the challenge is to get them in the association of devotees regularly so they can um, hear the philosophy. So, you know, so they're attracted to meditation, so we can create a meditation group and start off with an impersonal meditation and then gradually shift it to a, yeah. a mantra meditation and you know, philosophy. So, um, you know, the trick is for us in, in, in many ways is to get people into the association of the So, we, for me, somebody who's interested in Buddhism, say, for example, we don't say, you know, this is quite a... <laughs> we'll never get anywhere with this. <laughs> you know, and so... Oh, I know what you mean. What a challenge for that... Because... And, and you know, it's very interesting in the conversation with Jenny Mark and regularly hearing, Krishna's uncomfortable. Uh, if he's, but if a devotee regularly engages in the hearing and chanting, doesn't give up on his doing, but regularly engages in hearing and chanting, then the uncomfortable becomes comfortable. Right? Yeah. So you know, getting people into that environment 
the key. In the association as well. Yeah. And um, you know, I was, I was thinking of uh, what Isabella is doing in, in Melbourne, and even as work. Oh yeah. She's got people who are interested yeah. in meditation and whatever, and she brings them together once a week or once a fortnight. As a guided meditation, chants Hare Krishna, and you know the thing that really probably kills it is the shadow. Oh yeah. <laughs> but even even above and beyond that, that first, even even above and beyond that, all those things are true. But the first point of contact, if a person is genuinely a lover of Krishna then his relationship or her relationship or her connection with the devotee, if the devotee is 100% fixed and a lover of Krishna, and they see that God is within their heart, that friendliness, that compassion shines through. And people will start to say, there is something about that devotee, about that person, that's different from everybody else. And it's that that keeps a, and that's personalism because you see that person not as one that we merge with you see that and not in an envious sort of way we see that person in a genuine loving relationship what only Ruta was saying was right when we first came here to Krishna consciousness we were impersonalists we used to come into this room and we used to sit along the wall there and meditate <laughs> And everybody else was japa, chanting, you know. And the guru at that stage, the, the, the devotee, the advanced devotee, uh, brought us into his room, right? And he said, oh, so you are all doing this meditation technique? And we were very proud, very puffed up and thinking, yes, yes, we are doing this. And uh, he said, very good. Very, very good. And he said, what else are you doing? Oh, I said, we said, we're doing that. And this is, again, a point of, you know, pride. Oh, we're doing this TM Cities program. Oh, what is that? He said, oh, we, it's from Patanjali's Yoga Sutras and we do this levitation. Oh, very good. You know, and we said, but we like Krishna consciousness. That's good. Then also chant a little bit. So we said, oh, he's a nice guy. Yeah, we'll chant a little bit. He said, but whatever you do, he said, don't give up this meditation. If you give up, it could be very dangerous. And we go, wow, really? Okay, but add the chanting of Hare Krishna. <laughs> so we were chanting, and we're going, wow, this is really... And Krishna is so tricky. <laughs> we all know that, right? He's so tricky that when you start chanting, right, there's like you get an extra bonus booster, you know? It's like the first time you start chanting, you go... Wow, this is really far out, you know. <laughs> so anyway, we started chanting. We were all in the house together, you know. We're, we were all doing this meditation. And we started chanting. We are thinking, wow, this is really good. And we did this levitation thing, which was we had a garage full of foam rubber. And anybody that knows TM Cities, we do this levitation, the hopping, which Prabhupada called frog hopping. A frog can do this in the toilet as well. But we used to, woo, 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 like this. And all of us started going, actually, it's more fun doing this. <laughs> so then we started chanting and more chanting. And we do do 16 rounds. Then we said, ah, oh, forget this other stuff. We're just going to chant, you know. But oh, above and under said that we shouldn't give it up. 
forget it. Krishna will protect us. So then we did 32 rounds, 64 rounds, <laughs> just, just chanting, you know. And then we won over. Won over. But it's also, not only that, but also the friendliness and the compassion of some of the devotees that took us on board. I still remember, you know, devotees that were sincere devotees, that through love of Krishna and love for their fellow man, you know, took us on board. You know, Bhagavata Sri is still my very dear friend. You know, he was so compassionate to us. He would come to our home and have a hot milk with us and show us how to do things and we'd be invited to his home and, and we'd have prasadam in his house. So these are things that we as grihastas can do to bring these people into Krishna consciousness. Friendliness is the key. Oh, that person was such a friendly, was such a nice association. And you won't get that anywhere else. That real friendship on a heartfelt that you are my God brother in, within Krishna, you won't get that anywhere else. You won't get that. There'll be a, a, you know, a sort of a, a veneer of friendship at some of these groups, but in ultimate end, the, the greatest, you know, we had recently, a couple of years ago, uh, where people had surrendered to this guru who they thought was full of love for them. And in the end, he used them. He used them and he abused them. Sexually abused them. Because they thought that he was doing such a wonderful thing. And now they're left and they're floundering. They have no idea of what they should do spiritually. They were, they were used. So in Krishna consciousness, Krishna conscious devotees don't use people. They want to encourage people. Does that make sense? So that's how we battle it. Thanks, Prabhu. Yes, Prabhu, quickly. Do you want the microphone? Oh, cool. Do you know? Oh, yeah, I know what you're going to ask. I know what you're going to ask. Today is Vishwarupa Mahotsava. What is that all about, Bhaktivedas? Right? Am I right? No, you're not. Okay, so today, <laughs> he always does this to me, you know. Today is, is Vishwarupa Mahotsava, in that that's uh, Lord Chaitanya's brother. And, uh, and Lord Chaitanya was. Huh? Yeah, also, that's right. Okay. Yeah, sure. Where are you, Ani? We are saying about the connection with Lord is very important. And Prabhupada said that uh, Krishna loves us many times more than even Mother's love. Sri Prabhupada said that Lord Krishna loves us, each of us so much, many times more than the Mother's love. So oh. we can appreciate how much Krishna loves us. Yeah. There is one point. Second point was I was going to tell you the story which I heard recently. In Mumbai, there was a big uh, promotion, the Star Hotel. Terence Group, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They killed lots of people. Yeah. So there was a devotee there from Mumbai temple. What, in the hotel? Yeah, in that Because he was one of the commandos. Oh, okay. The commando group. So they were trying to... <laughs> uh, the Terence were very well prepared for months, weeks and months together. Yeah to kill people. So what happened that when the commando group came to, to kill them, they put tear gas. So with tear gas, the commandos could not see much. So in that commando group, there was a devotee. What he did, he just fell flat behind the pillar 
and he started praying nursing day prayer. Namaste nursing day. Really? And then what happened that a lot of people were killed in that, but in that group behind the pillar, nobody was killed. So you can see the connection with Krishna. It may happen. And compassion and the prayer. It may happen. Oh, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that it will always happen like that. Sometimes compassion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has saved so many people, those behind the pillar, yeah. was killed. There were hundreds of people who were killed in that disaster. Throughout, throughout history, though, in we Mumbai, have. In Mumbai. Yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Thank you. Throughout history, though, we, we see that sometimes devotees are martyred, are yeah. killed. We can't be in illusion in that. But the Lord has his plan, you know, so sometimes we surrender to whatever Krishna brings before us. We surrender to that. And when we have love for Krishna, irrespective of what happens to us, and that's again this whole thing with Kunti Devi, irrespective of what happens to us, we don't care. All I care about is I want to love you, my Lord. And if it's in this lifetime or in the next lifetime, whatever. You know? Everybody. Yeah, I understand that. And, and he said, if I turn, I am also killed, I will see my Lord. Yeah. Yeah, no, I understand that. But it won't happen all the time. We can't be an illusion to think, oh, you know, I'm in a difficult situation. Uh, let me now chant the Shingadev prayers or chant Hare Krishna and I'll be saved. You may not. At that instance, he protected. But in other instances, that may not happen, that may not be the plan of the Lord. But we have to understand under any circumstances, Krishna loves us. Yeah. And everything that's happening to us is of, the, uh, is of value. Yeah, Bhakti? Some people say it may happen if they're not happens, or even if it not happens, even if on the external it seems that you're not quote unquote saved. That's just that the body is not saved, but the spirit soul is always saved. Yeah, exactly. The spirit soul is always saved. Yeah. yeah. So look, the Shrinkadev. Whoever you're praying to, they have another plan for you, and then you will go to that, you know, the soul will go on to another place where the Lord will protect you. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Bhakti. Srila Prabhupada, the key.